Welcome to the Dogs, your fortnightly dose of Greyhound racing interviews, insights, and a whole lot more. With your hosts, Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Welcome to episode eight of Gone to the Dogs. As always, I am Danny Jackson and my co-pilot is... Joseph Andrews. I'm going to full name myself today. How are you doing, everyone? Thanks for joining us. Danny, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thanks. Just gearing up to go to Phoenix, Arizona for a bit of horse racing commentary. So, yeah, very excited. And So what's your plan and schedule then? I go on Tuesday the 25th and then on the Wednesday I'm calling half the card just because, you know, jet lag isn't a thing. And then the full card on Saturday is mine. So Saturday the 29th I'm doing the full one because Craig Braddock, who's the regular announcer, he's elsewhere. So he's giving me the keys and the microphone. Wise, I don't know, but we'll see soon enough. And then I've got a couple, well, one day off. Then I'm doing half the card from Monday to Wednesday. Thursday, I'm off the fourth. And then I'm doing two full days as well, the 5th and 6th of May. So, yeah, plenty of uh, experience, but bricking it. And you'll be fine. You're great at the commentaries. Come on, man. You've done this before. You know what you're doing. It's going to be great. Are you going to got any time off? Like I know you've obviously have got time off, but have you got anything planned in your days off? Not massively. I'm just going to wander around Phoenix, really, because I've not seen it. Last time it was a massive whistle stop tour. I saw the Grand Canyon for about 20 minutes and then went, great, three hours in the car back. So, yeah, um, hopefully see a bit more of Phoenix this time. But, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a busy one. Well, I wish you well, and I'm sure we'll hear some of the commentaries on social media that you'll put up. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so, yeah. I won't be keeping quiet, that's for sure. Not that I ever do. No. <laughs> Now, in the Greyhound world, let's talk about what we've had uh, in the competitions with a few pretty good performances. We'll kickstart, I think, with the TV trophy. The TV trophy. Well, I think we've I think we've had our dual first dual category one winner of the year in Belmore Sally. And she was brilliant again, stepping up in trip. Um, and she did not disappoint. I mean, every time she ran, she broke out a lot faster than everyone else and she held on. You know, there was a lot of strong stairs in the lineup, a tight track like Crayford, they they didn't come back. So uh, brilliant. Well done, Balmore Sally. As I said, two cat ones already this year. Fantastic. And uh, we've all heard as well, if she stays sound, she's going to go for hopefully the third golden jacket as well, which has never been done before. So can't wait to see her again. She's one of the superstars of the sport. And what I will say is I think Oa Smasher was good in second place and certainly a greyhound to keep on the right side of over the staying trip. So Oa Smasher was the eye catcher, Belmore Sally, just a star all over. And I absolutely love her. Now we're going to talk the champion hurdle because this is my favorite race of the year. So Joe, I'm just going to talk about this one because I absolutely- You go for it. You go for it. I love, love, love this lad. Lentz and Doolin, I mean, not only is he just a superb jumper, apart from when I nap him at one to five, he is now the track record holder at Crayford over hurdles with a time of 23.10. It was absolutely sensational. I couldn't believe my eyes. He won by 12 and a half lengths. I mean, Ricky Holloway has got the magic touch when it comes to hurdlers, but with this lad, he is just sensational and I love watching him run. I've watched it about five times since because I just can't believe my eyes. Over 380 metres, he's managed to pull clear by 12 and a half lengths with obstacles and the track record and everything else. It's just, yeah, I'm speechless, kind of. There's a first. 
And then we have got the Steel City Puppy Derby, of course, which was won at Sheffield by Droopy's Fidget Joe. And by our last podcast guest, Nathan Hunt. And he said his aim for this year was to win a Category 1 competition and he only <laughs> had to wait another week before he did it. Um, Droopy's Fidget, she's she's brilliant, isn't she? She's won comfortably in the end. A really nice performance. I, it was sad. I, I've just We're recording on, on Wednesday today and I've just heard that she's out of the season scaffolding Puppy Cup at Brighton, which was due to start on Saturday, which is a real shame. I don't know if connections are going to go for the derby now, but she's a, she's a superstar already and she's a potential mega superstar in the making. Yeah, she certainly is. So Droopy's Fidget, pop her name down potentially for the derby. Of course, we will get into the derby uh, soon enough. That's um, It's like a month away. I can't actually believe it's just over a month away. Uh, right. The other news that we've got, of course, regards starting traps at Toaster in Oxford. We had a couple of incidents at Oxford that everybody knows about. We won't go into detail about it, but I know that they're using different traps for the final of the Bet365 Hunt Cup, which is good news because we know they're tried and tested from Henlow and they've suspended, obviously, the sprints and the staying races uh, apart from the Hunt Cup final. So that is good news and they are getting sorted out. And we've had fab news from Toaster as well that they are changing their traps. I think they have done it. In yeah. the last couple of days, haven't they? Yeah, they've done it. They did it for the meeting on, on Tuesday night, um, worked through the night. The I watched a bit of the meeting on RPG TV and the traps look fantastic. Just like the, the new traps at, at Oxford, the, the four bend and eight bend ones, that they're great. You know, they open much quicker, much smoother. And I'm just hoping that the trainers will now, you know, the Irish will come over for the derby because some of them said they won't unless the traps are changed. There's some trainers um, that, that haven't run their dogs at Toaster. And fingers crossed now the traps are there and working and there's going to be no hiccups. You know, we're going to see the best dogs in the derby. That That's all we want. And, uh, you know, we want to see a strong Irish challenge coming over as well. You've still got the issue with the the Irish derby is a little bit closer than mm. usual to the uh, derby over here. So that might have an effect but look the main thing is the traps are changed we're getting new traps as you said the six bend traps at oxford are coming in july we've been told um so you know things are moving forward and it's a it's a much needed positive for sure certainly certainly is so all good news regarding toaster and oxford and the traps now uh, we've already talked about my news and i'm going away to to paradise which means we might have a little bit of a gap between this podcast and the next because joe you've got a pretty big life event occurring uh, in your neck of the woods as well, haven't you? Yeah, I'm getting a hair transplant, so really <laughs> looking forward to that. No, uh, I'm having a baby. She's due on the 27th next week, so she could come at any time. Um, so I think with with you being off and obviously with my news, it makes sense just to skip the podcast, which would usually come out on the on the 5th of May. But fear not. We will be back on the 19th of May, just before the Derby. We've got a very special guest coming on. And I'm really pleased to announce that Ben Keith has, has kindly agreed to, to join us for that one. They obviously <laughs> sponsored the Derby. You know, he's a fearless bookmaker, well-known in those circles. He'll lay any bet. So um, it'll be great to speak to him. And again, as ever with our interviewees, if you've got any questions for Ben about his life, about greyhound racing, about the derby, anything like that, please reach out to Danny and myself and, and we'll ask him. And, and you know, when we've got him on, 
we'll probably ramp up the podcast around the derby as well, time permitting, with plenty of betting, interviews, previews. You know, we probably won't do it fortnightly then, will we, Danny? We might even do a weekly one or or just a couple sporadically, you know, ahead of the ahead of the heats and stuff like that. So um, plenty yeah. more content coming in May and June. Certainly is. So if you have got a dog that you own and is taking a tilt at the derby, do let us know. We want to get as many uh, thoughts and opinions and little bits and pieces as possible. So if you've got one that you train, that you own, that you've just got maybe a a thought that might run well in the derby, let us know. We're going to do little bits of um, different things uh, regarding the derby this year. So hopefully uh, we'll have a a good few number of shows for you and uh, it should be pretty entertaining as well but we have to take that time off just to get everything sorted and let joe maybe get a little bit of sleep before our next podcast is due well we do both have lives outside of the podcast we're not twiddling our thumbs in between each uh each episode are we just waiting to record the next one so uh this will this will happen from time to time and uh yeah I'm, i'm sure you can do without one one episode I can hear them screaming now that they want more already. So sorry, guys, it's not going to happen. And now we are going to dive in to our fabulous interview that we've got with Mr. David Mitchell. This one is really, really interesting. Welcome to the podcast. And can you tell us how you got into greyhound racing in the first place? Was it maybe a particular greyhound or are your family a bit keen on the sport? Kind of all started um, from my grandfather who was into hound trailing. He used to breed and race them. Uh, And my brother and I used to go there quite often. And then naturally we just kind of uh, got into greyhound racing. Uh, It was probably around about 1999 now. I think I was... 12 or 13 and we started going going after that really but it was it was hound trailing that kind of got my interest in in the sport of greyhound racing and for those who don't know what hound trailing is uh, what is it uh, basically it's um hound dogs that race over many miles you, you've probably seen them run around horse racing tracks and they use uh, a rag with aniseed on the ground and they, they basically follow the scent and it can be run over the jump over fences, but it's like miles and miles at the run. Oh, wow. No, I've never seen that. So I need to have a look. Did they, did they still do that a lot now? Or Yeah, they've just they've just did it at Carlisle Racecourse not so long ago. Um, I think horse racing are trying to get people within hound trailing down there and it's a bit of a spectacle for and get them jumping over fences. It's, it's really interesting. Are you or anyone in your family still involved with that? No, no. Unfortunately, my uh, grandfather passed away a couple of years ago and I was really too interested in greyhound racing at that point. So it was kind of wasted on me. I was right into greyhound racing. So how did that journey into greyhound racing start then? Obviously from from the hounds, but I mean, did you start going racing regularly after that you got the bug or was it via ownership? Um, after that, we, my father and I and my brother, we started going to Gretna flapping track which is probably five minutes away from where i'm at the, at the right on the border so we used to go over there and it was on a friday night um and we used to get a, a brother and i a mars bar and a can of coke for walking the dogs on and putting the dogs in the traps and then 
we we ended up buying our first greyhound specifically for flapping. That that dog was NGRC at the time. It wasn't the GBGB. It was NGRC. That dog was called Max Grove Ranger, and we bought him from Bellevue. I think that was probably around about two thousand and two, two thousand and three. Um, nobody will have heard of him, but he had quite a fast brother called Barnfield Ranger. I'm probably sure that a few of your listeners will have heard of him. Um, and then after that, we renamed him because obviously when they flap, they don't run under NGRC name. We renamed him Mitch, and uh, we had a couple of years racing at Gretna. It was at that point I was absolutely hooked for life. It does suck you in, doesn't it? And then it never ever lets you go. <laughs> that is for sure. Uh, now, how did the Blue Tick Syndicate come about? Um, the Blue Tick Syndicate was was formed by uh, Matt Newman and I. And it kind of came about from the My Racing Tips Greyhound Syndicate, which Matt and I, some people don't know that are listening, Matt and I used to be the tipsters for My Racing Tips for quite a few years. Uh, and they were bought out by the Racing Post um, just prior to COVID. So we ran our first syndicate through um, My Racing Tips. And then everybody just stuck with us. And then we decided, right, we want to get a, even better dog. That's when we originally bought George and created the Blue Tick Syndicate. And the name really, a lot of people ask us where the name Blue Tick came from. At the time, my racing had just received the Blue Tick on Twitter, which was quite a big thing at the time. So it was more like a tip of the cap to my uh, my racing that they kind of got us started. They began our journey into syndication and then we started the Blue Tick. Yeah, I was going to say, I knew it had something to do with Twitter. It's got to have had something to do with Twitter. But now, you know, many people have blue ticks, but there's only one blue tick, George. So I love him. He's just he's just waiting out there, stood outside the window, looking in, thinking, what's going on in there? He, he heard his name, did it? Yeah. Yeah. He's just crying. I think there's a dog walk past the window. I think he's wanting to go for a walk. So, so was he the first one that you had then in the in the syndicate? And how, how did George come about then? He wasn't. Um, we we had uh, three or four dogs before George. Maybe even was it four or five? Maybe we had Act, Bill Bauer, Crack, and Delia. Um, as you can see, they go up through the alphabet. We go A B C, so Blue Tick A B C D. Um, so we we just had graders to begin with, and then it was the guys who said, "Look, uh, we had a really good dog to begin with called Mina Mourinho. I didn't go with the Blue Tick name. That was the My Racing." Um, and he was really good. And I think they just got the buzz. We won a, an owner's bonus series with him. And he was sprinting at Crayford. He was top grade. We paid very little money. So the guy said, right, let's, you know, get a, an even better dog. So that's how the, the purchase of George came about. But I mean, up to now, I think I've counted 21 dogs that we've had. Um, I'm currently racing. We've still got in the well, this is the UK and Australia, really, because we just amalgamate the names. We've got Kelver, Lazaro, Mayer, Nelson, Olivia, Pearl, Queen, Upset, and we've just bought three pups in Australia, which will be RST, but we haven't named them yet. And then outside of that, I own dogs uh, with another group of guys. I had Hedford Flash, who just retired. Last year, he took us on a few good journeys. He was a nice dog. Um, and I've got one grader at uh, Hove called Home Sherlock. He's a uh, really nice dog. So quite a few dogs over the time. I was going to say, you've had a fair number, haven't you, so far? And when it comes to the syndicates, obviously, that you're involved in, we all know about the Blue Tick one. How many 
members are there and can people still get involved? When we originally started, uh, we tried to keep it like 20 owners and then it kind of grew when we when we purchased George as it, as it naturally would. So we, we swelled at one point to about 100 owners and now we try and cap it around about 40. That's We think 40 is a good number. Anything more than that, it gets too big. 40 is our absolute limit. With It's funny because in the Australian we've literally got a waiting list where people will message after they've seen the success in Australia and obviously the, the wealth in Australia, I suppose, the and the enjoyment that we get. So, But the UK one, we have different people in different dogs. Some of them have got five people, some have got 10, some have got... It, it just varies really. At the time, people make their own decisions. But generally, we have owners that have been with us since absolute day dot from the very first dog and they're still with us now and they've... They've owned dogs right through Australia. They've had George. They've, so they've, they've really enjoyed it with us. Brilliant. And what do members get of being part of the syndicate? Do you do sort of organised kennel visits, obviously send updates and things like that? How does it work in that respect? We just have a crazy WhatsApp group that everybody just messages and uh, shares their thoughts and they go down to the kennels. We try and make it so each owner kind of feels like they it's their dog. Rather than I think some some larger syndicates, it's just like it, it, it's spread out so much. I like to and Matt does as well. We like to let people say, you know, if they want to go to the kennels and they want to see their dog, they can do that. If they want to communicate with the trainer, they can do that. Everyone's got a voice. Everyone's exactly the same. Myself and Matt, for instance, we buy shares exactly the same way as other guys. We're absolutely transparent in what we do, showing who owns what and what finances we have in certain things. I think when it comes to the Australia specifically, we tend to carry quite a big pot around because obviously the prize money and we have different dogs at the time. And so we try and keep it as transparent as possible. And I think that's probably uh, led to the success we've had. Aside from superstar, you know, blue tick George, who's just outside the door waiting to get in. Who are the others in the syndicate that have made uh, real impressions on the track for you? Um, I would say blue tick ferns probably been our most successful successful in Australia, um, and captured the imagination of a lot of people because of her early pace. You know, every week she was winning. She she ran like eighty times, and I think she won at least two thirds of those races just from her early pace. Um, so we had a lot of success with her. Uh, we had Captain Dynamite in Australia as well. He was, at one point, he was the talking dog of Australia, not just here, but Australia. Uh, he was favourite for the Sandown Cup and other group ones, and he just picked up injuries. So he was quite popular. Uh, one Night Only was was the brother to Blutic Fern. She was, he was a very, very good dog as well. So we had a lot of fun with him. I would say in England, obviously, George speaks for himself. We've we've had bits of fun with every dog when it comes to um, Kelver, Blue Kelver. He's been a nice dog. As I say, Mina Mourinho at the beginning, he was a lovely dog. So we've we've generally either had nice graders or we've went right to the opposite end of the scale and had a Blue Tick George or a Fern or a Captain Dynamite. There's, you know, and even myself on my own, Hedford Flash. He was a brilliant dog. Uh, he took us to at least three category one finals and he was uh, we really enjoyed racing him and i'm interested to know david how do the dogs in australia come about have you got some good contacts there that you've built up over the years that that will help you out and and find you something 
it's quite interesting how the Australian came about because it, it was almost like the dominoes fell into place. And then it was originally it started from a conversation with none other than Ben Keith. Uh, when Toaster was originally open, Ben Keith had approached me, seen my syndicates, and said, I wonder if we could get a, a dog from Australia to come over for the the derby. I said, oh, we can. I can try and find out. I can speak to people. Had a conversation with people in Australia, and they were basically saying it's not worth it's not worth our time to go over for one race. We would have to do three or four races, at kind of the prize money that the Derby offers to send a good dog, just because of the prize money, really. So I went back to Ben Keith. I said I don't think it's possible at, at the present moment in time until things change, and that was fine. And it was through those connections that I kind of said to Matt, "Why don't we look to buy a dog in Australia?" I don't see it on Twitter. I assume some people maybe do, but I had never seen it before. So we thought, well, we'd like to do things different. Um, George was kind of at his peak at that point, so there was a lot of interest. So we said, right, let's just do it. And we we spoke to a few people at Sandown, and they connected us up with Kel Greeno. And Kel and his wife, Jackie, have been absolutely superb for us. They've sourced dogs for us. Captain Dynamite was their dog, for instance, and they they sold that dog to us and blue tick fern they found. So it was, they kind of find the dogs and say, look, we've got these dogs or we've heard these dogs are nice. Would you, would you be interested in, you know, picking them up? And they've looked after everything. And obviously they've seen Cal Greeno. He only trains 14 dogs in Australia. And you've seen some of his success with, um, while she's fast, that's his, and he's an absolute genius with the lead. He's, I th- even people in Australia is the, one of the best trainers that's ever lived. And we're very fortunate to have ended up linking up with Kel. And he, he absolutely loves the POM, as he calls us, the POM banter in the in the WhatsApps, you know, and he enjoys it. And he says, you know, like we kind of keep his interest in the sport because he's won everything there is to win in Australia. But having UK-based owners to to kind of win these competitions and stuff, it's it's a big buzz for him, so... Does he wake up in the morning and have like 200 messages in the group that he's got to get through? <laughs> it's really weird because the racing a lot of the time is early for us, like four or five in the morning. A lot of people get up at four or five in the morning to watch the dogs. And Kel will just send me a message saying, I've got no idea what they're talking about. Can you convert it and, and like translate it to something I understand? Because we they 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 say boxes and stuff, and we say traps and hit the lids and things like that. Well, it's not really they don't really understand in Australia. So uh, he just joins in sometimes, and he has a he has a good laugh. If we ever draw uh, the eight box, which is the pink, he he often calls it the pom box. That we're only getting it. He's only getting it because he's training UK dogs. <laughs> so you put the markers on him then. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And I was chatting to someone I work with about the cost of dogs. He's, he's in Australia. He, he used to work in the ground industry there. And and I said, like, how much do your dogs cost? Because you assume that the prize money is much better. Therefore, people pay a lot more money for the dogs. And he, But he couldn't believe it when I told him how much money some people in the UK were paying for dogs. He, he nearly fell off his chair. So but explain that as well. Is, it, is there a huge disparity there? Or, or is it similar prices to what people are paying in the UK for these good dogs? It's similar. Um, we get you know, uh, twice the bang for our book, really. So if you're buying a 10,000 dog, it's 20,000 Australian dollars. So that's the first factor, really. But the the difference tends to... I suppose at the real top end of Greyhounds here, 
and the top end there, there is a bit of a difference. What you tend to find in Australia is you can pick up pups for, say, five or $6,000, which is, say, £3,000, which really isn't too bad. And you kind of pay for everything up front, which is the breaking and the rearing, and so you, you put everything in. And then when they hit the track, hopefully if the the city quality, then it's all paid for. You don't have to pay anything else, really. It's when they get to the top end that you tend to see. So say if a dog in Australia has went really fast when breaking in, that dog's value will increase to $100,000 overnight, which is £50,000, just, um, just because of the prize money there. Uh, and, and it can be crazy, you know, like, wow, she's fast as one, what, $2.2 million? That's, that's well over a million pounds. So it does get a little bit more there when you when you get to the higher end, but in a in a general sense, um, not really. The the price of dogs isn't too dissimilar to here. But the prize money is massive, all over, really, isn't it? So you you take an average kind of grade over in Australia, and it's triple, maybe five times the the prize money that you'd get over here, isn't it? It is, and also you don't. A lot of the time, you don't have kennel fees. You just go fifty-fifty with the trainer. So, for example, Blue Tick Fern. I think in her career, I think we purchased her for eight thousand dollars, so say four thousand pounds, and she had already been broken in and everything. So that was it. That's all we paid. Then there's no kennel fees. You go fifty-fifty on prize money. So I think she won eighty thousand dollars. So I say forty thousand um, pounds, and then you you go fifty fifty with the trainer, so he gets twenty thousand pounds, and you get twenty thousand pounds. So for your for your four thousand outlay, you've then sat with sixteen thousand pounds to then play with, really. Invest in another dog. That's it. That's it. And a lot, I think a lot of people in the UK and, and Ireland, when you add up the kennel fees every month, that you, if you buy a dog, say you're buying a dog for ten thousand pounds. And then you add the kennel fees up over a three or four year period or whatever it might be, three, say three years. Calculate that and put that against the example I just gave about Fern. The gap's even bigger. But it, it what it enables you to do is for, for Blue Tick Fern, for example, she's got a pot there and nobody's taken out of it. Now, when she has a litter, which we, we plan on doing, she pays the stud fees paid for, and her full litter, if she has, say, six or seven pups, is paid for the surf track. So we don't have anything, any more outlays, and we might have six pups that are racing. Wow. Maybe I need to get involved in the Australian side of things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really it's really interesting to hear the difference. Um, you know, I, I, I know the big dogs in, in Australia, like you say, well, she's fast and she's a pearl. You know, I see the headlines and stuff, but I don't, I don't follow it. But um, just understanding, you know, how much it costs to, to own a dog and, and keep a dog and, and the breeding side of things is, is is really interesting. And it's a bit of an eye-opener, to be honest. I mean, over here, you know, you have to win an open race a month to cover the cover, kennel bills, don't you? Uh, you know, and if you've got a grader, I mean, obviously it depends which kennels you're with, but if you've got an open racer with a top kennel, you know, you need to be winning an open race every four and a 25% strike rate to wash its face, don't you? You really do. I mean, um, even Blue Tick George, who was an expensive purchase and, and won a Category 1 and won many Opens, whether it was for 1,000, 3,000, I think his biggest competition is about 12,500. Um, once you factor in the kennel fees and the transport to the track, and you've got to obviously do a trial first, 
when when George was racing, we had to trial him and then take him two or three times to the track. You've got to figure that in. Um, and people, I still talk to people and they say, oh, he must have won a fortune. I was like, not really. He paid for himself. But that was it. And it's the same old story with Headford Flash. He paid for himself. But generally, there's nothing at the end of it, is it? It's, I, no. I try and explain it to people that greyhound racing in the UK, I try and treat it like a, a hobby, like golf or going to the football match. You don't get any monetary value from it, but you get that interest. Whereas Australia is totally different. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's a hobby and, and nothing else. I mean, it's one of the most bizarre things that the antis say, isn't it? That you know, owners are in it just to make money. Or like, if, what percentage of own, owners make money out of their dogs? Not point, not not one percent. That's it. And and uh, when you have one as good as George, and you can safely say you haven't made any money, there won't be many dogs that have probably won prestigious competitions like him that. You know, can say that they've they've won something. Even if it, the the daft thing is, a lot of people say, "Oh, you must have had a bet, or you must have gambled." And I was like, every time a dog like George went to the track, he was like one to three, one to two. <laughs> You're not going to get a bet on that. So it's just the kudos of having a champion as good as George now sat on your sofa or you know pouring at your door. He's more popular than myself. Anybody I know, <laughs> I've been in. Spain, talking to people about Greyhounds, they know him. I took him to Toaster. Like everyone was coming over. Like we had people walking up to us saying, Oh, you must be Mitch because that's Blue Tick George. Like they identified the dog before they identified <laughs> me. Uh, he's so, and he's really, really popular. And he's such a character as well. And it must have been great. I saw the pictures when he went to Yarmouth with the family and uh, he paraded there after he retired as well. Things like that must be great. More tracks should do that. I think at the time, a, a couple of tracks did it, but I don't know if they do it as much now, but it was it was superb to go back down there and everybody in the crowd were coming over because they're obviously, they were probably there last year or the year before when he, when he won it. And they come over and they want to meet the dog and they want to see what he's like. Um, I tell you what, it was very, very difficult to walk him around the ta- track because his eyes were on the traps. He, his <laughs> eyes were firmly on the traps and that's where he wanted to go. And I f- had to drag him off and pick him up and take him away because all he wanted to do was race. Um, but no, I think I think more tracks should do that. It was really good, especially for the kids as well because they never seen him race. But to do that and the kids were absolutely over the moon. Yeah, because they do a lot of that in horse racing, don't they? They have the parade of the champions in different um, tracks and they should definitely do that more. You know, ahead of the derby, can you imagine a couple of champions of the, the year just, you know, parading in front of them? Absolutely fabulous. So... Yeah, that that needs to happen a little bit more. Um, I mean, we we follow his antics on Twitter, of course, with Blue Tick George, and he clearly is a great character. But we've heard, of course, that he's a sire now. So who's he um, been put to? Probably had uh, 10 or 12 bitches now. Uh, Jumaira Liberty is probably the highest quality bitch that he's had. In, terms, in racing terms, Jumaira Liberty was an excellent bitch on the track. He's had... The likes of Fly High, Wilma, Kaliakal, Loka, not a vegan. We've got a daughter of Chop Chop Hope that he'll be covering once she breaks. So there is there is interest in him. And I think that comes a lot out of the social media side and um, him visiting the track and his personality. Because honestly, I think he's probably got 60 or 70 pups. And I think I've got owners for every single one. The amount of calls I get to say, not just can we can we buy his pups, but when he finishes racing, like we want a dog like him. We've seen his antics on Twitter. We we you know they've, they've resonated with them. 
Like we've got family members saying, "Can I have his son or daughter?" I just want one like George. That's it. And and I know you guys have been to see the Fly High Wilma litter. <laughs> every yeah. pup, every pup looks the same. Like he throws, he throws his stamp into it into a puppy. He, like the they look exactly like him in every way, shape, and form. They act like him. They, they seem, from what I've seen, they seem very relaxed, like him. Very no no quirks or anything. Just exactly like he was. They are absolutely brilliant. And when David uh, Titterton just goes tickies across the yard, it is the uh, just hilarious because the little ears go up and then it's like, what do you want now? <laughs> and it, they're yeah. absolutely fab, absolutely fabulous. Like we we loved uh, meeting the tickies. They are absolutely oh, just brilliant. They put a smile on your face, don't they, Joe, when they, you're you know, being chased around the paddock? Well... One of them clocked you around the jaw. The other one <laughs> tore my new barber jacket. So apart from that, lovely, lovely little pups. <laughs> no, they're not. So I can't wait to see them on the track. Are any of them hit the track yet? They're probably a little no. bit too soon, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think the the first litter will probably be June, July. Um, the Fly High Wilma litter, I think that was the second bit you covered. So they'll be, I mean, they're, they're quite a size now. Um, I, I, I would say... Maybe twelve months, just over twelve months. So it won't be won't be long before they start going. And everything I hear from David Titterton about the fire Wilmer he's really impressed with them. He's he, he couldn't be any happier. So I'm really pleased. And um, I've said this to a lot of people. He's he's uh, he don't think he's ever going to be a commercial side. Well, he's not going to be a commercial side. He's a pet. That's the first mm. important thing. He's he's a pet. He's a he's a member of our family now. The kids and everybody adore him. But if some people want to use him, and and there's, there's obviously they've seen the fly high one litter, then he's 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 there. And and if he has a few litters every year, then I'll be happy with that. If I ever get a chance to go and watch one of his pups win, it'll be just like watching him win. And I mean, I've told David already. I intend to take George down. So if he wants to get his owners there with the blue ticks. Um, with George's pups, I'll bring George down and I can see kind of dad and the pups. Brilliant. And, and with a lot of the British breeding competitions now and, and you know, the real emphasis here to, to improve British breeding and, and get behind it, are you, are you seeing that from owners of, of bitches and stuff that want to support the British breeding side of things and have a sire like George because he's over here and he's he's fully British? <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. I've seen recently i would say more recently i've had a lot of interest in using george you generally get a phone call saying i've got a bitch that i want to use on george i'll phone you when she breaks is that okay yeah no problem and a lot of people now um pushing definitely towards the british breeding side a lot because the the competitions are on offer the say send sending bitches over to ireland and getting them back and the paperwork and the cost of that whereas now i think in the uk we have some nice dogs, you know, like likes of George. George isn't the only, you know, British British breeding uh, sire here. There's there's a lot of nice stud dogs in the UK. So I think British breeding will continue to grow, um, and I think this year will be bigger than last year. And I think it'll just it'll just continue now, and hopefully George will get his fair share of bitches and a fair share of winners on the track. Yeah, we look forward to following their success when the little tickies do it. The Hit the traps and we'll see how they get on. We'll follow them on the podcast as well, won't we, Danny? We sure will. Certainly the one that's me around the face. Ticky time! <laughs> oh. 
Ah, new feature, new feature on the pod, uh, Tiki Time. Yes, especially the one that swiped me across the face. And I was going on RPG TV the next day. I was like, thanks, pal. You did wear white white leggings, though, didn't you? Which was a stupid idea. No, you and I both know I didn't wear white leggings. They were pink and they were my jogging bottoms that I used to walk my own dog. I just cleaned them because I thought I had to make an impression. (laughs) So stop peddling that (laughs) rumour. Hi everyone, I'm Lisa from Barley Greyhound Sanctuary in Essex. Barley Greyhound Sanctuary is its own independent registered charity and we've been rehoming greyhounds for around 20 years now. We always have between 18 and 25 greyhounds in our care looking for their forever homes and we pride ourselves in trying to find the best homes possible for the greyhounds. When a greyhound comes to us we get to know them each individually and we assess them in different situations and we also get to know the adopters before they adopt. And this allows us to match them to the best greyhound possible for their home. You can find loads of information on our website, which is www.barleykennels.co.uk. There's loads of blogs and useful information on there about greyhounds as pets. And we'd like to talk to you today about a lovely girl we have in called Safi. She's four years old and her racing name was Bewitched. She's a really sweet and gentle-natured girl. She walks perfectly on the lead. She's brilliant with other greyhounds. She's been excellent when introduced to smaller breeds. And she's actually spent some time in her trainer's home before she came to us. Just getting used to the sights and sounds of home life and she was absolutely perfect. So we feel that she's going to make a very lucky family a wonderful pet. All our greyhounds go home with a collar and lead, a house collar, a muzzle four weeks free insurance and a lifetime of support and backup from us. We do carry out home checks before the greyhounds go home. This is usually nothing to worry about. We just like to know that your home is a safe environment for a greyhound and also talk through any questions you may have um, about taking a greyhound into your home. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so on our website that I mentioned earlier. and You can find our pre-adoption questionnaire there that you'd need to fill in. Or you can call us on 01992 890 540 or you can email me at barleykennels at And as well on the breeding side, David, you were involved in bringing the uh, Tommy Shelby straws over from Australia. Obviously, he was a top, top dog over there, now a sire. Um, tell us more about how that came about and, and what the uptake was like. Um, well, basically, one night only, our uh, one of our dogs in Australia, we, at one point, Tommy Shelby was, he's based in the west of Australia and he was going to Victoria to race the Melbourne Cup. So um, Steve Withers, the owner of Tommy Shelby, he sent Tommy Shelby to Cal Greeno, who I've said at the start of this programme that... Um, we have dogs with and at the time we had uh, one night only who was a bit of a stayer and it's we it's hard to explain but the grading in certain states it changes when you move from state to state and once a dog reaches a certain height they've got to kind of lose quite a bit to get back down for them to then go back up it's it's probably another show but basically we sent one night only over with Steve with us. So when Tommy Shelby came over, he 
our dog one night only went back with Tommy Shelby over to Steve Withers. And then I started talking to Steve Withers at that point. Never had any other dogs with him, but the one night only raced there for quite a few times and then was retired there. And Steve Withers contacted us out of the blue and said, would you be interested if I send some straws over to the UK of Tommy Shelby's? Can I put your name down? And I said, absolutely no problem at all. So I just operate as kind of the middleman. Uh, people contact me and say, can, can I have a Tommy Shelby? And then I put them in touch with the prime vet in Chesterfield and then they communicate directly. But the uptake, I think there was there's 10 straws that were sent over and I would say six are taken. Um, and I would like to say that the people that have taken them have, have you know, taken them for nice pictures as well. And I was a bit gutted at the time. I said, come back for George afterwards, after you were Tommy Shelby. But the, the, they weren't overly expensive. I think they were £1,600 a straw, which is which is quite cheap for an Australian sire. Australian sires, uh, when you look at the likes of Fernando Bill, they can go up to like 10000 10, Australian dollars, 12000 Australian dollars. So, yeah, the take was really good. Will they send any more? I'm not too sure. Uh, time will tell. But he's got a litter on the ground at the moment, one of Tony Breeley's bitches. You'll have seen the Coppice, Coppice Mary. She's, um, I think she's out of the Droopy's Daniel line. She's one of Droopy's Daniel, so mm. a nice bitch. So he's 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 gonna get some nice bitches, um, and we'll wait and see. The the they look nice, but it's it's really interesting, yeah. And they're, they're British bred. Yeah, of course. Yeah, really interesting. Um, so have you been over to Australia yourself? You're the middleman for everything UK and and Australian relations. But do you, do you go over there at all? Funny enough, I haven't been over there yet. And I say funnily because I'm going over there in November for my honeymoon. Now, <laughs> don't ask me how I blagged that. Um, it, there was a negotiation that happened that involved uh, Bali. And I said, well, Bali's not that far from Australia, is it? Well, it obviously is. But I, I managed to negotiate a, a little trip to Australia and then to Bali. So I'm going to go to Australia in November and go and see our dogs out there do a little bit of traveling and bring back some um... straws in a cool bag (laughs) (laughs) i wish (laughs) a big container i don't think i get them through customs brilliant so you're doing a little bit of an oz tour and and seeing the seeing the dogs and and going racing first hand that's it that's it and the guys in australia they've been at me for ages to to go over because i have a really good relationship with you know, whether it's West Australia or Victoria, they couldn't have been any more welcoming to, to us as owners. And for me personally, they've said, oh, when you come over, let us know and we'll go racing. And really, really, they can't do anything more. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know about um, Victoria, my partner, but we'll, we'll enjoy, say. I'll enjoy it. <laughs> Congratulations for getting it signed off in the first place. I mean, <laughs> credit to you. <laughs> And when you're over there, she can't she can't turn around and say see you later because you'll have signed the papers and the rings on the fingers as well. So you've done a good job there, David. All she said was, "I am not going greyhound racing for my entire honeymoon." I said, "Well, it'll only be a few days." And you can see certain things, and she's like, "What is it to see in Melbourne?" So I have to to go on Google and get a few things. Oh, I'm sure there's plenty to see in Melbourne. Go and take her to see the fairy penguins, and she'll love you forever. It's great. That's a tip from me. Yeah, fairy penguins. Um, Now, 
obviously I've, I've actually followed uh, Aussie racing for quite a while and there's some real speedballs over there. We've already touched on, wow, she's fast. It, do you actually follow it as a whole, uh, the, the Aussie racing and who's captured your imagination then if so? I do follow the Aussie racing, but not as much as says some people. Probably you you probably see a lot more of it, and the likes of Neil Price on Twitter is massively into the, the Australian racing. I, I, and I tend to follow a lot of dogs that Kel gets through. So Kel will say, "Oh, I've got this dog," and I'll just follow that because I know that they're going to be they're going to be good. But I would say in recent times, I would say Tommy Shelby is the obvious choice. Uh, his style of racing and Steve Withers is a great guy and just unbelievable dog and I would say that the one dog that I really really did love was a dog called Houdini Boy who Kel trained that used to do that last to first style finishing over a staying distance I mean staying's my what I love but um, I really enjoyed watching Houdini Boy last to first That that's my bag yeah Houdini Boy was a little bit special wasn't he I did like Houdini Boy and Tommy Shelby I think I backed him for a little race because I was like, oh, I like Peaky Blinders. I'll back him for this. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to follow his career. And then it just took off like it's something ridiculous. And now he's got some litters on the ground. I've actually been covering a bit of the Aussie racing over the last few weeks. And I know he's got some um, litters on the ground over there that are actually racing now. And they seem to be doing pretty well. So, yeah, I've got a firm eye on them because I think a couple of them could be superstars. So very excited. Um, so bringing it back to Britain, David, which grounds have caught your eye at the moment? Obviously, we've got the Derby coming up and we've seen some great displays this year. Who have you got your eye on? Well, it would be, if I if I talk about dogs in the UK, I've got to stick with me on, haven't I? Um, no, you're not allowed. No, I, I tell you, I, you, you mean, just I was, I was going to actually say about my like one of my dogs that, if we're not talking about the Derby and we're just talking about purely like graded racing, if people for if people focus on home Sherlock, they'll uh, they'll have a good bit of fun um, following him, and he should he should win a few races. And where's home Sherlock running? Uh, we just got him going to Monmore at the moment. So if you can follow him there, uh, honestly, he's a nine, uh, but I think he's he's I think far, he's open far. class. <laughs> no, he's. I tell you what, he is. So we we originally bought him because he was brother to Roxon Christoph. Um, thinking I'll be open class, and he's we his original name. We wanted to call him Sherlock Holmes because he's just it, my partner's maiden name is Holmes. That was that was the half the reason. But we kept, we wanted a funny name because he's a funny little dog and he tries his heart out and he has got an engine, but uh, he's he's down in the grades and we expected him to be a fair bit higher than what he is. But I mean. We're talking purely Derby quality dogs. Um, from Poster Pillar is probably my favourite dog at the moment. I think he's got doesn't trap very well, but I think he's got a gear that other dogs just just can't seem to go with. He seems to, and I've spoken to Rob about this dog, and um, and Rob, he's very similar to that Irish dog. My mind's gone blank again, but looked exactly the same. Balling the ball at Ed, very similar to Balling the ball at Ed. Balling the ball at Ed left a bit in the box, but. Middle pace, he had an extra gear and from poster pillars, pretty much the same. Uh, I've always been a fan of Kulavani Shadow. I don't know whether the Derby is the right competition for that dog. 
And then you can go down to Hoffer. Hoffer's a, a nice dog. I like, I've always liked that dog. I mean, from a British bird point of view, it'd be great if the Romeo Command could run well. But it's, it's wide open. We don't really know what the Irish are doing at the moment, do we? I mean, there's a few nice Irish dogs going around. A dog that I, from Ireland that I followed for a long time was Saws Rex. I'm a big fan of that dog. Whether they all come for the derby, and I think that is probably where this discussion will lead to. I mean, I put a tweet out the other day about Toaster and which dogs will come off the derby and now they've brought the traps. So it'll be interesting to see which dogs actually come over and I'm sure the Irish will play a strong hand. Yeah, 100%. And um, thank God we've got the the new traps finally in and hopefully it'll entice them over because we want to see a derby with a strong Irish contingent, don't we? And they've got some cracking dogs at the moment. It wouldn't be a derby as we know it if Liam Dowling didn't come over with a couple and... Yeah. Graham Holland and some others, you know, like Irish racing is the creme de la creme in Europe for me. And if we don't get a few of those top class dogs coming over for the competition, it'll be very disappointing. But we we all want to see them. You see them, you see them running around Shelbourne Park, and we want to see them in the UK. Really, are you going to head down for the Derby this year? I'm not too sure. I did go down to the Derby last year. I went down twice. I went down just just Vicky and I, and I took George down. And we walked around with a bucket and raised some money for retired greyhounds. There's quite a few people went down. We took George down again. It was a battle for me to, well, as soon as he heard the hair going around, it was ears pricked and froze. But um, I, I might go down. If I get the invite again, and I, it was very nice of the, the ladies from the ambassadors to invite us down as they see George's social media. If I get invited down again to, to bring George, by all means, I'll bring him down and try and raise a few quid. Always important to uh, raise money for the retired greyhounds. Um, just on that, anybody listening, if you do want to come on the podcast and talk about retired greyhounds, we do a little advert, don't we, in the interview. So if you've got anything to shout about when it comes to the retired, do make sure you get in touch with Joe or I. That was just a sidebar. Um, what is your take, David, on the current landscape in the UK and what do you think can be done to improve things, in your opinion? Uh, how long have we got? I mean... <laughs> as long as you want. I'm probably extremely vocal on social media, which probably hasn't done me too many favours in the past. Um, for, you know, controversial things I've probably said in the past. But I think moving forward... Across the sport, I think there needs to be an element of transparency. I see um, the GBGB is is almost got this closed-door policy where we don't really see or hear much from the GBGB unless, really, there is something around anti-racing or pushing for a ban in Wales or Scotland. I would just like to see them probably been a bit more proactive and, and push the sport forward. Instead of us hiding in the shadows, we're actually... You know, you see Australia and the, the first thing people say is, oh, you've got lots of money in Australia, but Australia don't hide in the shadows. They actually push ground racing forward and they, they're proud of it. You know, they're, they're actually proud to show off the sport. They're open and transparent about everything. I often think the sport here is sometimes we just sit back and we try and fly under the radar and we, we don't want to handle the conversation and we don't want to be proactive. I'd like really that level of transparency. Open the door show people, yeah, accidents going to happen. Accidents happen in any sport with animals. We've seen horse racing recently. You're going to see it in greyhound racing. Accidents do happen. But anybody that goes to a track, 
go to a kennel, sees the way dogs are treated, treated and cared for, or they go to a track. I mean, everybody that's seen George, not all those people will have will be pro racing. So a lot of them, a lot of people will be anti racing. You get that, but if I take George to a track and they see how he reacts, that's nothing to do with me. You can see that that dog is desperate to race. You can see how much the dogs enjoy it when they come off the track. You can see how much they love doing the job. It's a job for them. They enjoy it. They're athletes. So I think I would like to see it been a little bit less in the shadows and a bit more positive and a bit more transparent. And let's get people down to the track and show the dogs and let's get people to the kennels and let's not hide anymore. Because everyone wants to see the sport flourish. I know people get labelled keyboard warriors and people get, you know, um, kind of Twitter turns into, you know, it sometimes got a bad reputation of this soup of negativity and they talk about the traps and they're not talking about them and they're not talking about them. Everybody that complains about traps or complains about tracks wants the sport to move forward. Once, they're only interested, they're only writing about greyhounds because they love the sport and they love the dogs. So, if we can, if we can be a bit more transparent and turn that negativity into a positive, and welcome, you know, some of the comments and say, you look, you know what, you might, you might actually be right there. Let's try all that. Let's do that, and let's change and move forward. Instead of this kind of still stuck in the eighties, the sport has never really. We're in twenty twenty three in the sport, other than streaming trials and the odd little bits and bobs, we haven't really grasped the. You know, we're not in this century. We're kind of still stuck in the eighties and nineties, the glory days, the sky days. Well, those days are gone. But we need to look at our counterparts in Australia, see what they're doing. It, a lot of it doesn't cost a fortune. A lot of it's just about being transparent, about putting a bit of effort in, and about showing the dogs and and making the dogs the the highlight. I mean, when we were talking earlier in the show about Tommy Shelby. Or even Blue Tick George. Why, why do people know Tommy Shelby or Blue Tick George? They don't know me and they don't know Steve Withers. They know the dog because mm-hmm. the dog has been put in the limelight. He's all over social media. People have fell. They've, they've, they've bought that story. They feel like they're connected to the dog. They want to follow that dog. And they've got an interest in that dog. And just aside to that, really... I have uh, an old lady in Scotland, a lady called Florence Gold. She's, I think she was 91 last week. She followed George from day one of racing, right through his, out of his career. She used to go on a William Hills, little walk down to William Hills, follow him, put a little £2 bet on him. After he retired, we got a card. She sent a card with £10 in for George's retirement. They sent it to the track and eventually the card got to myself with her address on. So I sent her a lot of photos up of George and said, you know, if you want to keep in contact, just keep in contact um, and I'll let you know how he's getting on in retirement. Now, Florence messages three times a day. Every single morning, she'll message my phone saying, hiya, George, even though she's messaging me. Hi, George. It's a bit cold outside. I'm going to feed the birds. And this, this is what I get every single day from Florence. And we've taken George up to see her and... Like she was crying, she was emotional, got lots of photos with George. We sent the photos to her. And we we we've probably been there now two or three times. And we every two or three months we take George up. We're hopefully gonna take one of his pups up. But that is what we need to bottle as a sport. If we can do that, and that's just one dog and that little old lady, 
the Tommy Shelby and uh, wow, she's fast and all these. Yeah, they've won fortunes, but people buy the story and they get engrossed in it and they, they they find some happiness in the dogs. And I don't think it's a sport in the UK we do that. And I think we let ourselves down by not doing that. And yeah, um, I put my hands up. I'm probably one of the people on social media, probably more vocal than others, when I have a good moan about this and a good moan at that. And a lot of other people have a good moan. But what the promoters, GBGB, Mark Bird, all these people need to realise is this, the criticism comes from a good place. They wouldn't be writing about it if they didn't love the sport. And I would just like to see the sport as a whole, driven by the GBGB, the regulating government, governing body, to drive all this and package it together. Well, you can hear the passion, David. Um, we can definitely tell it comes from a place of loving the sport. Um, the the interview has been absolutely fabulous. You can tell, you know, that you love it on both sides of the water, particularly over here as well, because of, you know, the blue tick George and the British breeding side of things. So thank you very much for coming on. And everything you've said has been fantastic. And I think, you know, trying to drag the, the sport into the new century is something Joe and I are pretty passionate about as well. I think with this podcast, that is, we're starting, we're trying, we're trying our best, but there's definitely, you know, if there's three people on this podcast that are trying to drag it in, let's get more people to try and drag it even further into the 21st century and uh, we'll champion whatever you want to do. Definitely. I agree. 100%. Thanks, David. Thanks again for joining us. I really enjoyed that. I found it very interesting as well, especially finding out a little bit more about the Aussie stuff. But um, no, it's been it's been great, mate. Thank you very much. Appreciate you taking your time out of your day to speak to, to two rogues like us. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime, you know, any anytime. You want to have a chat further down the line about some of the Aussie dogs, who knows? And, and I'll keep you updated on George's interest and what he's what he's up to and uh his pups as much as possible Perfect. yes we always want to know about the tickies that is what we want <laughs> to know <laughs> cheers david thanks very much cheers Now we're going to have a little bit of betting and we thank Callum Field Mullins who joins us this week. Callum, do you want to just tell um, the people a little bit about yourself if they don't know you? Yeah, um, I, I do a bit of kennel hand work for Derek Knight down at Hove. Um, it's not sort of the similar kennel hand work that, you know, other hardworking people do in, in the sport. It's more that I head down the track and, and just help out as and when I'm needed. Um I'm a Mullins, so I come from uh, a bit of a background of, of racing as well. Um, my dad used to train dogs. Um, he, he also used to train down at home as well. Uh, John and David are both still training. Um, and as well as that, yeah, I'm just down at uni really, just enjoying uh, the dog racing whilst it's on my, on my doorstep. Good stuff. And hopefully you're a judge of a greyhound as well. I saw you tip up a few winners in RPG TV once. So uh, no pressure. And we're going to start We're going to start this week with the Art Grand Prix. Danny, I'll come to you first. What are your thoughts in the final here? 
Well, I really like You Not Crow, actually, track four. She's a cracking bitch, and I always, always have liked bitches over the Six Ben trip. She recorded the fastest time last week over course and distance of 39.45. She pops out the boxes like a good thing with a 15.73 split. She beat Darby's Delight, who is the favourite, actually, as it stands um, for taking the crown. And I just think she's in a better location than he is in six Darby's Delight who won in the first round, was second, though, uh, last time uh, in the semis and was running on but just couldn't lay a glove, really, on Kunot Crow. And I'm surprised to see that she is as big as she is. So really hoping that she can get the break out of the boxes that she did uh, last week and hoping that she can track across if she needs to because there's a few mid-to-rails, rails to make comments in her card, but I think box four, I think she'll be absolutely fine. So Kunot Crow would be the one for me. Interesting. Callum, thoughts? Um, it's it's a good final. Um, it's not often that you see Southerners go up to, you know, Sunderland and Newcastle and take on, um, you know, the likes of Tom Harbron that's got plenty of good dogs going around at the moment. Um, I respect Kunar Crow. I just think Derby's delight, although, yes, he, he is a railer, um, I, I, I'd either like to be bang one or bang six and He's got six for the final, so that's lucky for him in in some respects because he he might just about avoid some trouble. Um, he ran down Kunal Crow last week as well, and he, he's got good form on him. I, I can't see why he can't go and do it. It will just be um, it will just be down to who, who sort of gets a, a bit of a better break and a a better beeline to the to the bend. Well, it is a fascinating final in the uh, Art Grand Prix that is on Friday night at Sunderland, of course, over there, 640 metres. And then we have a sensational Saturday of action. We're going to start at Hove because they've got three semifinals of the Coral Brighton Bell and three heats of the season's scaffolding Puppy Cup. The first semi-final of the Coral Brighton Bell sees one Betsy's Bullet, two Whiting's New Era, three Fabulous Azura, four Pep in the Step, five Lively Lauren and six Gatling Gun. I was really impressed by Gatling Gun last week. Thought she put in a, an absolutely cracking run and I'm really looking at the Broadstrand Bono progeny. I think they're doing really well at the moment. So definitely got an eye on them. And I'm going to come to you, Joe, because Lively Lauren, of course, is your bitch. You own her with your friend, Andrew. And I just think she's got a really tough draw. It's just devastating again, to be honest with you. She got a horror draw in the first round of the Hunt Cup in four. She's got, she got a good draw in two in the, in the first round. And obviously she won, she won nicely, stayed on very well. But I mean, she was last out of the hat. She's in trap five and she drew trap five in the, the puppy derby at toaster as well in the, in the second round. And it's just, it's just doing my head in. I mean, it's, it's just terrible luck. So she's got it all to do from trap five. I mean, in a way, I, I hope she maybe misses the break a little bit and can tuck in behind um, and then stay on. I think it'll be very hard for her to get in the top two from there. As you said, Gatling Gun ran an absolute stormer from uh, from Trap Six last time. Really impressive, and I hope she runs well for for Patrick and Jade Brown. Um, we've got another dog um, with, with them, and they're they're fantastic trainers and and stuff. But you know, we've got Fabulous Azure in Trap Three. She's just coming back. 
um, from a break. But having said that, she put in an, a stunning time. It looked like she sort of was slowing down off the last bend, and then a few dogs came to her, and she went again. So I doesn't don't know whether she was just toying with with everyone, but but she's the one to beat. Um, Pep in the steps, a really nice dog. You know, if I had my way, I'd say trap five and six to qualify. But I think Fabulous Azure will be hard to beat, and uh, you know, I hope we hope we qualify. But if not, Gatling Gun for sure. Callum, who did you like the look of in the first semi? Um, obviously, you can't sort of ignore Fabulous Azora. Um, she's a phenomenal bitch. Um, has done it near enough most tracks that she's been to. Um, and I, I was speaking with Dan Wallace uh, the other day. She often seems to run a track quite uh, nicely first time up. Um, so it, it's obviously the one to beat. But I was really impressed with Whiten's new era, to be honest. Um, I've I've been watching it, uh, watching her quite closely over at Romford um, on the five seven five, and she definitely stays this very well. Um, it probably didn't show too much last week as she she sort of uh, got quite a clear run and then um, started coming back to the field, which was a little bit abnormal. But with the likes of Azura being um, as strong as she is, it it sort of made sense. But she did get very close. Um, I I just think. She'd probably be a little bit of a price. And uh, with being in two as well, uh, I think she could probably do very similar to what Ninja Kerry has done um, in the Olympic final. Because he was drawn to then and he sort of used that to his advantage because I, I think he's a, a bang middle runner. And he moved off slightly to make his space at the bend and attacked it. Um, if she's smart enough, she'll do that, I reckon. So spread across the map with the first semi-final of the Brighton Bell. What about the second one? Well, we've got Trap 1, Westwell Lima, 2, What's Up Eva, 3, Stella's Fruity, 4, My Girl Bella, 5, Havana Bailout, and 6, No Rush. Now, I saw No Rush commentated on her at Nottingham in the BGBF British Breeders and was really, really impressed with her in the first round. She beat Coyote Bear by a distance. Then she went and beat Jaffa in the semis. And then she was she came unstuck, which most dogs do, behind Romeo Command. She got back on track last week, and I thought it was a cracking run from her. She's got a 4.32 split on the card. She probably will match strides with What's Up Eva into that first bend, but what a time she recorded. 29.95. It was absolutely sensational. I backed her anti-post. I absolutely love this bitch, and I think she's going uh, far. I think she's overpriced, maybe, because... Uh, she's with a um, a trainer that wouldn't be, you know, fielding loads of category one runners with Carol Weatherall. But I think she's really, really good. And I can't wait to see her again. So no rush would be my firm pick to sail on through to the final next week. Callum, I'll come to you first. Who are you with? I'm the same as you. Are. I've picked no rush. I think it's probably going to be the classiest semi-final um, on the night, in my opinion. You know, you've got my girl Bella, um, What's Up Eva, who, who actually won it last year, I believe. Um, Stella's Fruity has been amazing. Um, but with the draw out in six, and she's she really takes the home very, very well. I think she absolutely loves this place. And um, as long as she leads five, I, I can't see any of them really sort of catching her. I'd like to see Stella's Fruity qualify because um, she's been banging form both in graded and open company. Uh, I, I'd probably picture it being six and three or opposite way around. So Stella's fruity and no rush the two against the field for the second semi, Joe? Yeah, I was really impressed with, impressed with no rush as well. And I think she's still 14 to one, three places, anti-post. Um, 
which looks a good bet. Now, it is going to be hard to qualify from from this seat. You know, only two going through. Again, a format I don't like. I always like the freeze, freeze to go through. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no rush did it. I mean, Havana bailout sometimes is a bit hit and miss at the start. Very talented bitch, but she was quickly away last time. And no rush still beat her to the bend and, and won, won nicely. So not to be underestimated. Um, and um, I think think no rush can uh, can win this for sure. And when it gets to the final as well, if she does qualify, there's probably going to be a lot of railers, depending on who gets through. And, you know, she's probably going to get a, get a nice draw as well if, if she does get through. Same with Gatling Gun. But... Um, yeah, six, six box. No Rush has three strong votes for the second semi-final of the Coral Brighton Bell. What about the third? Well, we've got Trap One, My Girl Mia, two Droopies Request, three Sleek by Design, four Mirren of Paisley, five New In Touch and six Jasmine Lily. And I was quite taken with My Girl Mia. I think she always runs a good race and she's one of those broad strand Bono bitches as well. So hoping that she can run uh, another good uh, race today today on saturday uh she missed the break last week but she showed a lot of pace around those first couple of bends and she just won by about three quarters of a length in the end she got a little bit of a crowd early stages but i think seamus cahill's got a really nice uh, youngster on his hands with my girl mia so i'm going i've done two votes for the stripes i'm now going dive into the inside with my girl mia in the third semi joe who are you with Sorry to be boring, but yeah, I think my girl Mia will take all the beat in here. She's in trap one again, which she which she loves. Um, you like you said, she did miss it last time. I don't expect her to miss it again. She's usually um, pretty pretty nifty out of the boxes. So if she can get a, a pitch and get to the bend in front, she's going to be difficult to beat. Just a shout out to Sleep by Design. Obviously, who's a really classy bitch. Um, she's been running over. A little bit further. She won at Perry Bar, obviously, on, on Judgment Night, being 59. And if if she's anywhere near, then um, she's got the ability to to, to win. Um, but I think I think my girl Mia at Hove um, from Trap One will be really difficult to, to beat here. My girl Mia, two votes. Callum, are you making it a full house? I'm not, unfortunately. I'm going to have to break up the band. Um, I'm going with the neighbour, though, Droopy's Request. Um, bit of a shock runner, to be honest with you. In the same heat as Whiten's New Era, um, and as fabulous as Aura, sort of came out of nowhere, really. It was a reserve runner, um, which I don't think people did know about. And um, she certainly didn't disgrace herself at all. You know, she she most definitely opened up down the back straight. And uh, I think she could probably actually have the early toe on my girl, Mia. Both of them are very strong bitches over this distance. Um, it'll be a, a, a good test. It certainly will, and Droopy's request has a vote from Callum. So we're all about the inside, though, of the third semi-final of the Coral Brighton Bell. Good luck, whoever you're backing, and if you've got a runner in the semis, then good luck with them as well. Moving on to the season scaffolding puppy cup, and Heat 1 sees 1 Bubbly Scorcher, 2 Ballymac John, 3 Droopy's Flotilla, 4 Ivy Hill Otis, 5 Joe's Cigar, and six, a dream to share. I would be with six all day because they're puppies and this is the sole wide seed in the field. One last time out over the 5.15, only had two runs so far and has put some really good runs on the map. A son of Malachi, love Malachi progeny, think he's going to go well. So a dream to share would be the easy pick for me in the first heat. Callum, who would you like? It's a bit of a difficult one, really, there's not one that sort of is really implemented in my mind, but I'm, I'm I like the look of Bally Matt John from Mark Wallace. 
Uh, he's only had two runs, one win. Uh, shouldn't be too far away from these. But yeah, I, I do think, however, the, a dream to share is probably the one to beat. So a dream to share, the one to beat, but Bally John keeping an eye on him. Joe? Yeah, I really like Valley Mac John. I actually backed him anti-post for the for the maiden derby. Unfortunately, he just had an absolutely terrible trip. He was coming to mount a challenge and he got blocked off. Um, and then he sort of got checked a little bit off the fourth bend as well and ended up fifth. Um, but the winners of that long acres, Nutty and Drive On Lad, have both made the final. So it wasn't a, a bad heat. But then he, he went on to, to absolutely hack up a toaster next time by seven and a quarter length, showing that he is a good dog in a calculated time of 29.61, which I Obviously, around toast is good. As Callum's just pointed out, he, he's he's done a trial and had a look at, at Hove twenty twenty nine forty one, which is which is good going. And I, I think he'll um he'll take all the beating here. And he is a ground that I do I do like. Just a September twenty one. Two votes uh, for a dream to share with an eye on Banny Mac, John for Joe and an eye for Callum as well. So two against the field. There we have got heat two. And the second heat of the season, Scaffolding Puppy Cup, sees Trap 1, Mary Champion, 2, Bubbly Star, 3, Uri Up Rosie, who has replaced Droopy's Fidget, who is out of the Puppy Cup. Trap 4, Droopy's Clue, the 5, Coppice Dylan, and 6, Highfield May. Now, I love Mary Champion. This dog has some serious, serious gears. He's a son of Droopy Sydney. He's out of Jamira Lulz. I've seen him on his last two starts. I was on RPG TV for both. And he's just absolutely blowing dogs out the water and decent dogs as well. So really hoping that he can com complete a four-timer, remain unbeaten. I think he will do. He's got the draw on the inside. He's got loads of early pace. I just think he's going to be away and gone and they won't even know what has happened. What about you, Joe? Yeah, I think Marie Champion will be a short price um, for, for sure. I mean, five to two now, Drupas Fidget is out in the anti-post market. So it should be a significant odds on poke. I mean, it went off at, at seven to two on uh, last week, but 29.34, 29.13, 29.25. You know, these are serious times and this is a very exciting puppy for now and for the future and one to keep an eye on for sure. So I can't wait to see what he does in this competition. What about you, Callum? Um, I'm going with the other Seamus runner, Droopy's Clue. Um, I just think he's he's sort of set levels, really. Um, even when he hasn't been at his best in, I, I think it was his second run that I watched him. Um, but it, even then, he, he's still been adding levels to his game. Um, I think he'll probably have the, the better chance to the bend than probably Marie Champion might do. Uh, I also think that Highfield May will probably rush up on the outside and maybe cause a bit of bother for him. But if he's smart about it, he can cut the bend and, uh, yeah, put pedal to metal. Okay, so difference of opinion with Murray Champion and Droopy's Clue. Both are unbeaten at the moment on these shores. Can they remain unbeaten on Saturday? Well, one will most likely lose that unbeaten tag. What about Heat 3 of the season scaffolding Puppy Cup? Well, we've got Trap 1, Bombay 0, 2, Bubbly Cooper, 3, Coppice Sire, 4, Untold Zlotti, 5, Jack Tavern Magic, and 6, Kunok Barry. I like Untold Zlotti. From what I've seen of him so far, I think he's a strong running type. Um, he was touched off behind pair drops in the Steel City Puppy Derby, but I'll forgive any puppy at um, a below par run because they're still learning their trade. So Carol Weatherall's runner, Untold Zlotty would be for me down the centre. Callum, who are you with? I'm with Bombay Zero. Um, just think that a galloping track's probably going to suit him a, 
a, a, a lot more than maybe Romford might. Um, he's had quite a few looks around Hove now, so he, he knows it very well. He's also got the bang one draw inside his, his uh, kennel mate, Bubbly Cooper. He, he's got it all to play for. He's got nothing on his um, on his name at all in terms of uh, races whatsoever. So it, it's sort of like um, a free chance to to show him what you know what he's what he's about. Bombay Zero, an exciting newcomer on Saturday at Hove, Joe. Yeah, I think I like Untold Slotty for sure, and the fact that Untold Slotty has has, has had a look around Hove and and uh, you know has ran here is going his favour. But I do like Copper's Zaya a lot. Um, she's obviously coming straight from the the final at Sheffield, which Drooper's Fidget won. Um, didn't get a trip there at all. Um, came last, but you know absolutely no chance. Bumped at the first and then checked at the second. So if if Copper's Zaya can take to Hove, uh, no reason why she shouldn't, then she can definitely win this. But I'm, I'm just going to side with Untold Zlotty just because he's, he's had a look. Two votes for Untold Zlotty, one for Bombay Zero in the season scaffolding puppy cup heat number three. Continuing with the fantastic action on Saturday, but we're going to Oxford this time. And it is, of course, the Bet365 Hunt Cup final. We were talking at the top of the show about the switch in traps. So they're using the ones from Henlow until they get their new ones installed. But the lineup is like this. One, Havana Top Note. Trap two, King Ezra. Three, Water Swell Party. Four, Muxton Lottie. Five, Mini Bullet. And six, Havana lover i am a havana lover fan i don't know that she's necessarily got the times here because she is um i think second in behind mini bullet but she should be able to keep herself safe out wide because she is the sole wide in the field she's also unbeaten in the competition so hoping havana lover can add another win to her tally callum who were you on for the hunt cup i've decided to go with what a swell party um i think it's a, a classy dog probably actually might stay a little bit further than 650 at Oxford. Um, and it's been coming very close. Just been a little bit unfortunate with uh, any sort of wins coming its way. But um, yeah, Liz and Rab both come very heavy handed. So it would just be um, big opposition to face. But a good, potentially, maybe a forecast, a tricast as well. What a swell party because she's always there or thereabouts. Joe? Yeah, it's it's a really good high quality final, isn't it? Havana Lover and, and Havana Top Note both did uh, forty dead on in the semi finals. Havana Lover the time before that thirty nine ninety four and, and anything sub forty seconds around this trip at Oxford is excellent. Obviously, we've got some new traps coming in for this one off event, so we don't know how the dogs are going to take to that. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, at the prices. Look, I think Havana Lover it seems to have been improving as time goes, just visually. She sort of got used to the track and, and uh, you know, the win last time against King Ezra was was very impressive off quite a slow split, 15-63. Um, Havana Top Note broke a lot better last week um, and beat What a Swell Party. And I think if Havana Top Note from Trap 1 can get out again and do a similar split, I think... Um, he could be hard to beat. So just as a bit of value at seven to two versus, um, you know, six to four, I'm probably going to go with the one dog here, but any of the six can win it. You know, if mini bullet, mini bullet hasn't got a great draw in five, but if mini bullet can get out, 
um, and break well and smash out, she could make all, you know, same with King Ezra, he's more than capable. So uh, really, really great final and as Callum said, I agree with him, what a swell, swell party would, would get further, I think, and probably want to try over the, the marathon trip here. Um, and, that, you know, he'll be staying on at the end. So uh, and Moxton Lottie, I, I don't want to go without mentioning her <laughs> because she can also win. You know, she's got a 40 5 on a card over this trip. And you now if there's a little bit of trouble, that could be good enough to win it. So enjoy, enjoy the Hunt Cup final. It is a fabulous final coming up at Oxford on Saturday. And also on Saturday, I can't believe how many times I've said Saturday for the betting this week, but Perry Barr sees the Arc Laurels semi-finals. The first of them sees Barley Panther in one, Kulavani Shadow in two, Goldie's Perriman three, Sinek Goofy in four, five Ivan Exile and six Supernova. And I love, everybody knows, I love the Sinek boys and Sinek Goofy is my lad. I love him. Uh, he was second behind Kulavani Shadow, but kind of hoping Kulavani Shadow just misses it slightly. And that my boy Sign at Goofy can just nick it from him from the front. So Sign at Goofy would be the one for me all day and twice on Sunday. Joe, this is this is tricky. Yeah, look, it's if Cooler Vanny Shadow gets out, he, he wins. Will he get out? We just do not know. He can be very inconsistent, but when he does, last week 20, 27, 97, that is very quick here. Very quick. Uh, Sign it, Goofy is is an absolute class act. He was well beaten by Call of Any Shadow last time, but if he breaks a bit better, you know he's not without help. Ivan Exile won the Birmingham Cup here last last year. He likes Perry Bar just coming back to to fitness and, and match fitness now. Um, so probably best watch, but but he's a classy dog. Um, I'm, I really like Goldis Perryman as well. What what a fantastic dog he's been for connections. Go on, Steve lad. Go on, Steve lad. Um, <laughs> but I think you just—I'm just assuming the prices again here, as I often do on this podcast. But I'm assuming that Call of Annie Shadow is going to be a very short price again, fifteen to eight last time, which was more than fair. And if there's anything odds against, I'll probably back Call of Annie Shadow. If there's anything odds on, then I'll probably go with Sign It Goofy to break better um, and maybe get the victory. But also, go on, Steve lad. Callum, what about you in the first Laurel semi? Um, I've I've always been a, a big fan of Supernova around Romford. Um, yeah, he, he's got a, a fair bit of early about him, and probably didn't show his best form last Saturday. Um, obviously, I, I do like Sign at Goofy as well. Uh, one on Judgment Night, um, very impressive, and I, I think he probably would have benefited a, a little bit more from moving in a little bit more middle. And he's got that. He did run out of four last week. Um, Call of Any Shadow is the one to oppose yet again. Um, it's class act. I'm still going to go with Signet Goofy, though. Okay, two votes for Signet Goofy. Here we are behind, of course, the Twitter sensation that is Goldie's Perryman with Go On Steve Lad hashtag. Uh, what about the second semi-final of the Arc Laurels? We've got Trap 1, Swift Iconic, 2, Knowles Choice, 3, Hawkfield Ozark, 4, Arcady, 5, Linwood Assin, and 6, Hurry Up Jordan. 6 has got the draw. Arcady's always had a soft spot for me ever since he was a puppy. I've really, really liked this dog, and I think he's just going from strength to strength uh, the older he gets at the moment. So Arcady for me down the centre. I think he's got a great draw. He was slightly troubled last time out. He can definitely go better here. So Arcady, the one for me for the Mullins panel. Callum. Um, you know what? I'm not sure. Joe? <laughs> <laughs> um, come back to me. Okay. I- 
I agree with you, Daniel. Arcady did really well to get a second last last week, didn't he? Um, and we, he's a class dog. We know that. Really good dog. He's one of my favourites, actually. I really like Arcady. But I just think hurry up Jordan out wide, as you said. Got the draw 28-33, beating Hawkfield Ozark, who reopposes here. That was a really nice run um, from, from last at the first bend. Um, so you hope hurry up Jordan can get out a little bit better than that. And I think he'll be hard to beat. Look, Swift Iconic on his day is a very fast dog. Um, you know, Hawkfield Ozark is, you know, we know is was excellent. And Arcady, um, Arcady, the only thing about Arcady is I don't know, it's harsh because he's won, you know, two of his last three, but he seems to have been on the go a little bit with a, with a tough campaign at Central Park and then obviously the, the toaster race and then has come here to Perry Bar. So I just don't know whether, you know, he might be sort of getting a little bit, tired and needing a rest I, i've heard connections say actually that he, he needs his racing and he'll do better the more he races so what i'm saying is absolute nonsense uh, no doubt but um i just think hurry up jordan for, for me who may be a little bit fresher and, and had a great run last time hurry up jordan for joe arcady for me callum have you uh decided uh i've decided to go with swift iconic on the inside this time um beat goldie's perryman in uh the in one of the opens earlier on. Um, and I also saw that Goldie's Perryman beat uh, Brookside Ritchie, I believe, in a trial. Um, so it's quite impressive form if you sort of have a, a little bit look a look back at it. And I know Swift Iconic has been sprinting recently. Um, so if he shows a, a small amount of earlier, I think he's probably got a lot in his, in his locker down the back straight. Swift Iconic then. So a split across the field for the second semi of the Arc Laurels. And then we move on to Sunday. Yes, there is another day in the weekend that we have some fantastic racing. And it comes from Toaster. It's the Cab Maiden Derby final. Track Bond Longacres Nutty, two Longacres Pele, three Drive On Lad, four Crossfield Cora, five Hopes Woof Woof and six Gary Vo Rocky. Drive On Lad has been threatening to be brilliant throughout his whole career. And he's finally got his first win on the board in the heat of this competition, then won in the semis. Come on, drive on, lad. All got to get on board with this boy. He's just finally putting it all together. So hoping that he can just go uh, unbeaten in the competition and drive on, lad, would certainly be the one for me. Callum, who are you with? I'm with drive on, lad, as well. Um, just simply because he, he's sort of piecing it all together now. Um, I think he's been a bit unlucky with certain places that he has gone, not because the, the track might not have suited him or the, the distance. Um, there's plenty of classy dogs going around at the moment and this is probably the right competition to make, make sure his name is known, uh, especially before the derby. He's also started to show his trapping boots and I never thought he would. He, he stays 500 quite well and it, he, he does run toaster very well as well. Yeah, he does indeed. That is Drive On Lad. Two votes for him, Joe. Full house? Um, I'm not sure. I really like Drive On Lad. I've actually backed him anti-post. I backed him at Romford at a big price and I backed him for another competition as well. I'm a big fan of this dog and like you've both said, he's really putting it together now and showing his, his class. Um, really nice dog and he's done nothing wrong in this competition. 29-40 both times, consistent as you like. He got um, Long Acres Nutty, won well last time in the semi-final. Crossfield Cora got well-backed actually before the race, um, but he just sort of um, held, held Crossfield Cora off. So you can't rule them two out. 
And then in trap two, you've got Long Acres Pelly, who used to be called um, Hoodoo Brown. He was a, a, a talking dog before the derby last year, coming over from Ireland. So, uh, you know, very, very good dog. And then Hopes Woof Woof and, and Gary Vorocky in, in five and six. But I think I'm going to side with Crossfield Cora um, in this to to come back and, and win and turn the tables on last week. Um, I just think that... She's a classy dog at 29.34. She's done a 29.27 here in a trial as well. And I just think, you know, they obviously expected a lot more of her last week in the semi-final, expected her to win that. And I think if she can get out from trap four, um, she she can take this. But it's a very open race and a very good final. And I'm sure that a few of these dogs will perform well in the derby itself uh, mm. in, a, in, a, in a month's time. Let's hope so. And it's Drive On Loud for myself and Callum with Crossfield Cora for Joe. So maybe you want to put on a little bit of a reverse forecast. But that is it for the action this weekend. Don't forget, of course, that the gym crack does start on Sunday at Kinsley. As it stands, we didn't have any cards or the draw or what have you. So we couldn't really discuss it. But uh, do enjoy the gym crack at Kinsley. Great to see that it's back and being sponsored by Bresbet as well. So despite what the website says as well at Kinsley, it is open. It is not racing behind closed doors. So you can absolutely go and see them. And they've got betting available. They've got a little bit of a bar as well. So get on down if you're near Kinsley or if you want to go and see the gym crack over the next few weeks Do support a an independent track. That's it for the betting. Callum, it has been a pleasure. Hopefully you've picked us a few winners. And I now can't see you because when we started this uh, podcast, you were in the light and now the sun is down. <laughs> Are you there? I am here. <laughs> and so is this dog next to me. I don't know whose it is. Um, I can't even really see it, to be honest. But... It could be a werewolf. <laughs> um, no, it's just got four legs. I'm not sure what breed it is. Brilliant. Good. Well, you can just take him home. <laughs> Thanks, Callum. Thanks for joining us and giving us your insight anyway. And uh, good, look at, good luck at the weekend. Uh, are you heading down to Hove? Uh, I should be, yeah. As, as long as I can get my shift switched, um, I, I shouldn't have any issues and I'll, I'll be down there to watch. Good man. We'll enjoy it. Then we'll speak to you soon, no doubt. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers, Callum. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Well, that is the end of the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, and if you do like what you're hearing, do leave us a review. Don't forget, myself and Joe have had two big life events going on over the next couple of weeks, so we are having a little bit of a hiatus, but we will be back at the beginning of May, so make sure you join us then. And we have got Ben Keith from Star Sports, so that is an incentive to rejoin us when we kickstart things again with the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Gone to the Dogs, released every other Friday. For more info or to reach out on Twitter, follow at Totally Betting and at Danny V. Jackson. Podcast produced and edited by Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Voiceover by Katie Harvey.